family is all that lives in sight and sound, touch and taste. Live, come on, be human and give, give, give. <laughs> the Woodstock Roundtable welcomes you to be a part of being human. Aho! Greetings, everyone. Welcome to the Woodstock Roundtable. Doug Grant, your host, and we look forward to some significant and insignificant conversational improv, music from the Sultan of Sonic Soul, and our special guest, Pilar Jennings, is a very interesting woman, a psychoanalyst and author of a new book, To Heal a Wounded Heart, The Transformative Power of Buddhism and Psychotherapy. So an integration of Eastern spirituality and Western psychology. Uh, she's had a very sexual, a sexual, very successful career, and uh, possibly a sexual career. Uh, a very successful career, so we'll look forward to getting into that. Our co-host today, as she is every other week, is our Woodstock Roundtable Poet Laureate, Miss Victoria Sullivan. Also co-hosting and engineering is Radio Woodstock weekend on-air warrior Ron Van Warmer. It is Mother's Day. We'll certainly pay tribute to our moms. And we'll also be honest by picking the five most evil moms in movies. <laughs> so start thinking of your choices. We'll give you ours. We'll have an existential wrap-up with our favorite street philosopher, Patrick Carlin. And we always leave a room for surprises because they find us. Among our topics today for improv, what is artificial intelligence telling us about being human? Is it possible to live in the moment? And high anxiety, the results of the latest poll by the American Psychiatric Association? And eh, we're not doing that great. Anyway, it'll be fun. Hang out with us here at the Woodstock Roundtable. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. It's time once again for a little constructed chaos. Good morning. Good morning, Victoria. Doug. Good morning, Ron. Good morning, Doug. Uh, being a very structured, uh, very prepared, <laughs> uh, somebody who loves really strict habits, um, I make it a point to make sure that for this 7 o'clock show, I'm here by 6.58. Yeah, that's great. The way you bring in your car, I don't dare step out of mine for fear you're going to knock me down. Uh, so, uh, but it, which gives us at least like two minutes to go over last minute <laughs> right. things, right? To be deeply prepared. Too, so I gave, too long. I, so I gave, this is why Victoria's a great co-host. I gave her a homework assignment two minutes before the show <laughs> began. <laughs> yeah, he's study, like that. Study the uh, Iliad. Exactly. In two minutes or less. Yes, and uh, and and write me a five thousand word <laughs> essay in the in ancient Greek. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and we'll see how you did with the. Uh, and I, but I, you know, it's your choice whether you take on the homework. I, did you take on the homework assignment? A little bit. I did. Okay. I started thinking. Uh, it has to do with moms. Ah, it's a Mother's Day. Exactly. Mother's Day. Ah, and we're going to talk. Happy about, Mother's Day to all yeah. those mothers out there. Yeah. Right. And but, to you. But since Thank we, you. We, we love our moms, and we've talked about the three of us are fortunate. We've 
you know, talking about our moms, we, we seem to have had relatively yeah. oh, good I, moms. Oh, I, I beg to differ. Oh, you had a bad mom? Well, I had a mom that was very disconnected from me. Ah. So I think we could call that a bad mom. <laughs> oh, yeah. Tell us more. Let's, let's delve. She was very narcissistic <laughs> and strong-willed, and she had four daughters. Oh, excuse me one second. Happy Mother's Day! <laughs> <laughs> and I was the third. So it wasn't like, you know, she'd, she'd expended herself on the first two. I think by the time I came along, oh, so she was exhausted. By she didn't have a whole in. lot yeah. more to, to give. Hello. And I think my red hair was a problem because my father was a redhead and his sisters were redheads. And I was the only one of the girls with the red hair. And I think she feared that somehow my father would care for me more. So then it became this rivalry. Now, if you were one of the five moms we're going to identify as my favorite evil moms in movie history, mm. mom would have dyed your hair. Yes. But when you were very young and you never would have known you were a redhead. <laughs> yes, just for years and years and years. Sent to military school. <laughs> <laughs> and she also was a very controlling person. Uh-huh. And she got the first two girls very well controlled. And somehow I just had this streak of anarchy in me from an early age. So there's home movies where you see the first sister come out, and they're obviously behind the, the scenes. You know, home movies didn't have sound then. And, and they come running into the room, and they smile, and they wave at the camera. And then apparently they would call me. And, and you'd see me sort of sidle into the room, look around, and walk back out. <laughs> and when I showed this film to my second husband, he said, well... That tells a lot. You, know, <laughs> you, you weren't really happy to be there. They, and so they couldn't exactly control me. But, Good for you. But it wasn't that great. Uh, because, you know, however much as a small child you say, well, it doesn't really matter that much that my mother's not that fond of me. You know, it, it sort of does mine matter. Well, well, yeah, and all moms, I mean, tough, t- t- tough gig. Um, under the best of circumstances, we know from Dr. Freud, there are going to be some issues. Um, no matter how perfect mom might try to be. Right. There's no perfect mom. Um, and, um, uh, you know, but I, I sort of took the reverse role that you took. Um, I wanted to please my mom, which is a problem, too. So I was, on the surface, a goody two-shoes. I, was, I did my homework. Um, uh, I, I sensed as early as kindergarten, this is the truth. My Aquarian nature could ascertain that this whole school thing that they're teaching us is mostly a bunch of crap. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I, I know you felt that way. I felt this very strongly as early as kindergarten. Wow. With like just the coloring exercises didn't make sense <laughs> to me. That said, um, I didn't want to rock the boat and displease my mom and my grandmom, her mom. So they both consciously and unconsciously definitely pressured me to conform okay so i did but underneath it i knew it was bs see you always do this thing of how awful school was i loved going to school because mm. my sisters weren't there my parents weren't there right. I'm saying we, and we, we, we i was like a free front. to define myself you know when you're born the third everything's been sort of defined ahead of time all the family roles you know there's the beautiful daughter there's the good daughter there's the this sounds like cinderella so so i had i had the bad daughter role but at school 
they didn't know my sisters. They didn't know my parents. So I walked in and I was like, hey, I'm the queen of the sandbox. How could they not know your sisters? How, which was it age difference? They, they were a good deal older than I, my oh, sisters. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, the kids didn't. The teachers might have known, you know, the family lineage. But the kids, but the kids didn't. didn't. And so I just loved school. I could be whatever I wanted at school. And I, I didn't hate, the only reason I didn't hate school, I disliked school, is because... The, re- the only re- stopped me from thing that stopped me from hating it because I felt the vast majority of stuff I was forced to learn was boring and it just felt like I was being controlled, mm. which of course we were. <laughs> right. um, and didn't want to displease mom and grandma, so I, d- I did what I had right. to do. But underneath, I, but th- what saved it was I would literally buy, I'm saying now by second or third grade, when I would get depressed at the end of the summer that I was gonna have to go back to this controlled environment, I would remind myself every morning that I'm gonna have fun with friends, right, at some point in the class, and that I'm gonna laugh hard at least once with my friends. Wow, that's nice. Yeah, that was the only thing that kept me from just being depressed about having uh, to go to, see, and I went to a good good public school, we had a good public school system. This, in, was not, this was not, you know, Patrick talks about, you know, the boarding school, the religious school where they wrap your knuckle, right, the nuns wrap, right. I had none of that. Yeah. This was a considered a very good school system. I just felt it was BS and it was all controlling and I wasn't being taught anything to do with who I was, mm. but who I was supposed to be. Wow. And, and this is my Aquarian nature. Um, so in that sense, you know, it was an issue. But then, as soon as I graduated college, all bets were off. I went radical. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well... I remember the end of the summer so differently from you. I like the summers, but when it would start to feel cool at the end of August, I'd be thinking, oh, I'm back in school oh, soon. Oh, but what I loved, I, Boy, you I must loved, have, that, Now that tells us how bad a mother you had. I, if, I, you, I, if you I, couldn't I, wait to go back to school, you know what? I, I love the sports, I, and I like the same thing you did. I like the camaraderie with the friends and things. To me, school was... It was my playground. I, I wasn't that upset. Oh, you have to learn the multiplication tables. Who cares? They're easy. You know, it was like, it wasn't that I was so into the subject matter. I liked just the whole thing of leaving the house. <laughs> leaving the house was a big one. And then, you know, getting there and the swings were there. You could swing if you got there early. I liked the jungle gyms. And I loved playing kickball after school so it was wow. Yeah, I loved all great. that stuff too. The problem was that between the jungle, between playing marbles before school started, getting there early and playing marbles, and afterwards going to the field and playing ball, was this crappy school <laughs> stuff from nine from like eight thirty to three fifteen? Was this you know boring? I guess I just accepted it, and it wasn't that boring to me. They I, they put me in charge of things just to keep me from like making the class crazy. So the teachers would say, "Why don't you make us a poster?" Vicky, which was my name then, but don't tell anyone. So they go, Vicky, why don't you? And I, oh boy, I was making a poster. We're going to start referring to you as Miss Vicky. Yeah, right. I would make a poster. I'd be so happy. You have to wash your hands after you go to the bathroom. You have to do this. You have to do that. I loved it. I had that little tyrant in me. And so I was doing PR for all the stuff that you were hating. (laughs) I I hated you. Oh, no. (laughs) My mother was great. For a child, my mother was great. She didn't like school either. So ah. she didn't make us go. You know, she didn't care. Wow. She thought that you could get a, a better education. I wish education. I could have rented your mom for a few years. Yeah, every, all the kids wanted my mom. Yeah. And, and, and she thought you could get a better education just living hmm. than you could going to school. So she was pretty much uh, open to us not going. 
Wow. And didn't she, wasn't she a single mom? Yes, she was. She was a single mom. At, a, at an age when that was considered, you were considered weird. Yes. I mean, now. I was the only kid in school who didn't have a father. One thing I'll say <laughs> for Woodstock is, Woodstock has always been a comfortable place for single moms. At a time when yeah. being a single, I mean, growing up in the suburbs, I can remember, there may have been more, I can remember one classmate who had a single mom. Yeah. Divorced mom. Yeah, there was no, I was one. the only one. I, they had a father-son night in my school when I was in elementary school, and I had to go with someone else's dad. Oh, God. Now, that's depressing. That's, it was, that's it was horrible. <laughs> that's depressing. I, you I, know what? Did what you I, write a poem about that, Victoria? I, I will. You know, when my classmates, when I look back and think about them, <laughs> I think some of my friends really sort of maybe had single moms, but I didn't know it because it wasn't like even a phrase then. Mm. So, like, well, you there'd were be this woman outlier. where I never saw... Her husband, and she kept the shades down, and we could eat in front of the TV, and I realized later she was probably an alcoholic, you know, because she would just sort of bumble around and let us do whatever we wanted. We could make a mess in the kitchen, which I couldn't do at home, so I liked to go there. And then I had another friend whose mother was never around. She was always flying off Can I just stop you there for a second? Can I stop you there for a second? <laughs> you looked forward to visiting the alcoholic mom rather than be with your own mom. The alcoholic mom was very nice. She let us do anything. <laughs> that was my mom. Not alcoholic, but she let us do anything. Yeah, I loved that. Yeah. I mean, you couldn't do anything in my kitchen because, one, you know, if my mother wasn't in there, that the, the live-in maid was in there. But, you know, you could make a mess in the kitchen. I mean, that was the potential. So we weren't allowed to do I anything. I was the only 11-year-old I knew that got up. I got to stay up and watch Johnny Carson because Very my mother cool. didn't care. Yeah, see, that's the kind of thing that the alcoholic mother was yeah. like that. Well, my dad was like that. <laughs> yeah. see? Um, and <laughs> my favorite story there was, and it's Mom's Day, um, was the time, boy, I remember this so clearly. Like, I couldn't have been more than eight or nine years old. My father loved the Marx Brothers. Mm. And so he wanted to teach me to love the Marx Brothers, sure. which isn't hard for a kid to do. <laughs> As a kid, the Marx Brothers were the ultimate um, uh, 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 renegades. They right? were fabulous. So back then, I know this is hard for you know our millennial listeners to understand. There were like six channels on the TV, yeah. and, every, and TV stopped broadcasting at around midnight. Yes. So there was a Marx Brothers movie on like at 10 at night. Mm. And I'm like eight years old, so I'm asleep. My father wakes me up to watch it with him. <laughs> cool dad. Yeah. And uh, it was the big store where, where uh, yeah. I remember Harpo on roller skates, you know, yeah. you, you, know, go, go, you know, destroying everything in, in, in a department store. And um, I believe Groucho's name was Wolf J. Flywheel. I could be wrong about <laughs> That's that. That's a great name. And... Um, it was not one of their best movies, but as a kid, yeah. I loved it because there's all this chaos. And every kid loves Harpo, particularly. Yeah. Um, and it was so cool to be awakened on a school night at 10 o'clock to watch a Marx Brothers. And my father, don't tell your mother. Wow. Oh. Of course she knew. Yeah. <laughs> you know, my father kidding? did once. Moms know everything. He came yeah. home from a party on the weekend and decided we should all go to the Latin Quarter in New York. <laughs> And he threw the kids in the car. So and we, we were his Mother's Day and we're celebrating dads. <laughs> That's great. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, at any rate, what I thought would be fun, is, as I woke up at <laughs> too early this morning, um, and I didn't want to get here till 6.58. Right. So I said, you know, it would be interesting if I Google uh, worst moms in movie history. Oh, you Googled it. I thought you just went in your brain. Well, in my brain, I came you up. You have a Google machine. <laughs> in my brain, I came up with three. Okay. And so I'm, I, I used those three in the top five. I, there was an L.A. Times uh, article um, for a past Mother's Day um, 
the 10 worst moms in movie mm. history, and then there was another website that had the 24 worst moms. Wow. And a lot of them were movies that I hadn't even heard of. You and know. you know, moms take a lot of blame. <laughs> I'm just going to leave that. Well, out no, there as a they, it, tough. It's it's a tough gig. We we admit that. No, we we, we know that. Um, you know, um, when you try to think of something and you just can't. I mean, I I've only come up with one bad mom movie mom, and I know there's lots of them. I just can't think of any of them. Well, I thought it was but interesting one. exercise. So we'll we'll give that a, a, a little thought experiment to our listeners to think about. I'm going to give you my top five. I came up with um, three pretty quickly, and the other. The, the, my to me the most evil. I mean, I, w- I, w- I wanted to rank them in <laughs> levels of evilness, which for our discussion here, and the one who came out most evil, I didn't. I knew the movie, but I didn't realize the intricacy of the evilness because it's hmm. not what it's not a movie I really appreciate, even though it's considered a classic film noir. Are you going to tell the early us 60s. what it is? Of course. Uh, I just, uh, this is called that. Come on, you're think. a poet. I'm adding a little tension here. <laughs> was it in black and white? Yeah, I believe it was. 1962 was the movie based on a 1959 novel. Bad Mother. Um, but I didn't even know in the plot that the mom was be- was behind it. But anyway, she, she comes out number one in my list. Uh, we'll start with number five. And I discovered this morning a very interesting um, trivia question about this character. Oh. Um, now, one could argue that she's not evil as much as narcissistic which is not doesn't necessarily make you evil um like like victoria's mother right right but and you <laughs> my can, mother wasn't evil just narcissistic just not very loving <laughs> okay well maybe you could compare and contrast your mom with this movie mom <laughs> played by ann bancroft in one of the oh. one of the 10 best movies of all time the uh, graduate yes you got it. i got that so when I got here at 6.58, I had two minutes to prepare. I, I Googled what was Mrs. Robinson's first name. Do we know? What, does she have one in them? The answer is didn't have one. Wow. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Mrs. Robinson. Yes, brilliant. None of the adults, this is brilliant, none of the adults were given first names. That's interesting. Did she have children? Yes, her daughter Catherine is Ross, the one. Her daughter that, was the love interest. That, that is a bad thing for a mom to do, by the way. <laughs> What's that? Sleep with your best friend's son, right? Oh, doesn't and then your daughter's and then boyfriend. control your. Well, no, no, no. At the time they slept, they were not boyfriend and girlfriend. Okay. So, as the plot goes, um, uh, Benjamin graduates a fancy school, comes back to California. And can't and, and just can't stand the suburban plasticity and this famous line plastics, plastics is your future and the whole thing, and the parents controlling. I grew up in that same environment, the suburbs, Philip Roth country, by the way. Um, the parents say, "Hey, why don't you date Elaine, the daughter of their best friends?" And they were child; they knew each other growing up. And Benjamin wants no part of any of this. Okay, so when Mrs. Robinson, who's just a bored housewife seduces benjamin uh he did not had not was not dating elaine at that time her daughter but when they do she breaks it up Mm. and and kind of controls elaine and says to satisfy us you got to get married to the right kind of guy to end this all this sort because the last thing mrs robinson wanted was her daughter to get involved with the, son, the, the young man she seduced. Yeah. That's narcissistic. Okay? Yes, it is. 
And so I put her at number five. But Fair I found enough. it interesting that none of the parents in the movie had first names. It's almost like um, like Peanuts, where the parents actually never speak. <laughs> <laughs> well, in, in fiction, when someone a character doesn't have a name, you know, the critics always spend a lot of time <clears throat> trying to figure out why. Because sometimes you'll have a whole novel narrated, and you'll never know the name of the narrator. So there is something sort of psychologically going on there. Well, uh, would you like to compare and contrast your mom's narcissism with Mrs. <laughs> Robinson's narcissism? Happily, my mother um, didn't try and poach my boyfriends. Well, that's um, good, good for her. Let's give her some credit. Uh, but she, <laughs> she wanted me to, to find <clears throat> a nice Protestant boy because she thought that's what would be, you know, the best in the culture. Is that an Irish thing? No, because she wasn't Irish. In fact, she hated the Irish. But she was a snob. <laughs> I'm starting to like your mom. She was a real snob. She was also big anti-McCarthy. She was very good politically. So your dad was obviously Irish then. He was part Irish, and she just, you know, like, treated that like, well, that was the embarrassing That's side of unfortunate him. unfortunate part. <laughs> you know, we really shouldn't put that what, out in what, public. Was she blue blood? What was... No, she was actually probably poor white trash, <clears throat> but, you know, poor white trash... <laughs> On the way up. You know, she was a smart woman, so she got educated, and she actually went to the Curry School of Speech in Boston, so she spoke very perfectly. Uh And then she'd also gone to the American Academy of Dramatic Arts, so she knew how to fall down a staircase, which is apparently what they taught them there. Did did she go to a finishing school where you had to walk around with a book on your head? No, she didn't do that, but she kind of learned that stuff later. She was a real up-and-comer, you know. She learned how to decorate. She learned what kind of china was good, blah, 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 blah. But she wanted me to find a nice Protestant boy, so I only went out with Catholics and Jews. <laughs> <laughs> and had there been a black populace in Scarsdale, I would have gone out with had them, Had there been too. a black communist, that would have been a— That would have been married perfect. him in a second. A, a black Jewish communist, I think. There you're perfect. But, uh, yeah, so comparing her to Mrs. Robinson, she probably had some of those lordly traits that Mrs. Robinson had. You know, like, one— my second husband also said that when she came in a room, it was like a ship docking. You know, <laughs> she she, she kind of wanted you to know she was Whoa. there. <laughs> she wasn't as glamorous like as Anne Bancroft. But. All right. Well, as we go down, or as we go to the more evil uh, mom, at least in, in my judgment, right. and you comment uh, all you like here, at number four. Uh, Mommy Dearest. Yes. Faye Dunaway playing Joan Crawford. That's the one I came up with immediately. Yes, me too. Joan Crawford. And and the crazy thing with the hangers, which we all remember. What did she she do? Beat her with hangers? Well, no, it was like she liked a certain kind of hanger. You know, like she didn't like wire hangers. They were somehow gauche or something. And she would scream. Well, they ruined the clothes. Right. If she found them in the closet, she'd, she'd say, wire hangers in a way that was as if she'd said the most awful thing in the world. And then she'd pull them out and throw them on the floor. And the little actress playing her daughter is sort of cowering on the floor. She she produced a lot of cowering in her child. I'd say she yeah. was pretty dreadful. Oh no! If you make the top five, you're dreadful. Yeah. Yes. Dreadful's not a, dreadful is not in contention. Right. What we're discussing is relative Just, evil. I see. That, well, of course, it's based on Joan Crawford, and apparently yeah. she was just— Can Bing Crosby be a uh, mother? Because he was pretty nasty. <laughs> oh, he, he, was, he was the equivalent of the Joan Crawford mother. Yeah. yeah. What a mother, you could call yeah. her. Yeah. But anyway, but the reason—I think she was worse than Mrs. Robinson. Mrs. Robinson was all about psychological pain yes. yeah. um, and arrogance and narcissism. Whereas Joan Crawford went physical as well as emotional. Right. Yeah. So I, 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 I put her slightly ahead of Mrs. Robinson. 
Okay. <laughs> and I put, compared I put to Mrs. my mother. I put Miss Crawford slightly ahead of my Mrs. Robinson. My mother would do this sort Fair of physical enough. thing. We would set the alarm in my room. By the way, I love that. Every time I mention an evil mom, Victoria I, has a I, story. I, I do out. because I'd be in bed and, you know, the alarm would ring at 7. I was supposed to get up right away. But, I'd you know, I'd run and turn it off and get back in bed. And she'd come tearing into the bedroom. And if she saw me still in bed, she'd whip the covers down and then she'd smack me. Wow. Like wow. on my thigh or, you know, like she was. And then she'd hide the alarm. So that I couldn't find it, so I'd be up longer looking for it, <laughs> so that I couldn't do that. But, I mean, I got so many smacks on my leg from her. They weren't really horribly painful, but it was kind of a shocking, awful way to have to get up in the morning. I had a telephone in my bedroom, and my mother used to call me in the morning to get me up. <laughs> <laughs> I like Your that. mom is like in the she, pantheon she, of moms. She never got out of bed either. She didn't cook breakfast or anything. She just called me and said, it's time to get up. <laughs> and then I had to get up and get off to school by myself. And if I went to school, great. And if I didn't, that was okay, too. Oh, wow. I love your mom. <laughs> no, my mother wanted me up and downstairs at the dip breakfast table at 727 and then off to school at 747. And, you know, everything in my house was done by the clock. <laughs> well, if you just tuned in, we're celebrating Mother's Day by talking about... Um, uh, Terrible <laughs> our, mothers. Our co-host, horrifying mother, <laughs> yeah. and our favorite five evil movie mothers of all time. So we've picked our. I picked five and four. Um, number five on the list is Mrs. Robinson. No first name given, by the way, yeah. in the movie or the novel. And number four, um, Mommy Dearest, Joan Crawford. Yeah. Uh, so we'll get to our top three evil movie moms when we come back from this break. <laughs> I've asked this trivia question before. We'll see if you remember it. Because when I read this, I thought it was really cool. Paul Simon there, great choice, mother and child reunion. Um, I read what the where Paul got that idea of mother and child oh. reunion. It had I, nothing to do with his mother. Really? Yep. It had to do with a mother relationship, but not a human one. Oh. Primates? No. Mother and child reunion was the description on a Chinese menu that he read. <laughs> it was a dish, strange. a dish with chicken and egg. Ah, ooh, wow, that's sort of icky. No, it's not. And it's, you can see, you can see an, a, a Chinese meal where there's yeah. chunks of chicken and the, egg like egg. But I don't young. want to call Chick it a mother and child reunion. Chicken and egg, chicken egg foo young. Then you start thinking about what you're eating. And and what died? Well, we for ought to it. start thinking about what we're eating. <laughs> <laughs> One of our main themes of our show here. But you're forgiven because you had a horrible childhood. No, no, it so wasn't can, horrible. It, it just matter. had its problems. She had a wonderful time at school. <laughs> I did. <laughs> I had a wonderful time at school. I can't Anytime wait. Anytime I wasn't at home, I had a wonderful time. I, by the way, I can't wait in our second time to get back to your mom. <laughs> um, this is the Woodstock Roundtable. Doug Grant, your host. R. Wonderful co-host today, our poet laureate, Victoria Sullivan. So we'll get a Mother's Day poem later on. And 
on-air weekend warrior here at Radio with Dr. Ron Van Wormer. We're celebrating Mother's Day by talking about <laughs> Victoria's horrible mom <laughs> and our five uh, favorite most evil movie moms. <clears throat> and then after I give... So, so far, number five on the list was Mrs. Robinson, narcissistic, mm-hmm. doesn't mind screwing up her daughter just to make sure she marries the perfect so-called cookie-cutter husband. Um, mommy Dearest, Joan Crawford, uh, the memoir by her daughter, Christine, not a good mom. No. Both physically and emotionally abusive. Ah, number three. I'm going to give you the fictional name, and I'm guessing that most people won't know who it is. I would not have, so I'm not being arrogant here at all. I would not have known who this was. Right. But she's my third most evil movie mom. Her fictional name, Margaret White. Mm. Not a very distinctive name. Oh, but she was a distinctive mom. Margaret White. Now, that's a tough one to figure out who was that, but I'll give you the (laughs) the actress who played her. Give us the actress, and then maybe I'll know. Now you have a shot at it. Mary Tyler Moore? No, but in Ordinary People, she was a pretty bad mom. That is a good one. That's not on your list? No, she could be sixth. I would put her sixth. But I'll, but you you can make a good case for <laughs> being was, in the top five. Yeah, no, that was good. And I'll give you certainly that opportunity. Piper Laurie is the actress. Piper oh, wow. Laurie. I don't I don't know. Her daughter was played by. Well, I'll give you her daughter's name, and that'll give it okay. away. Her daughter's name was Carrie White. Oh, Carrie. Carrie. Mm-hmm. Carrie. Um, Stephen King. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. She was a pretty nasty mom. Basically, right up there. Uh, could you Google her? I forget what she did. She, she convinced her daughter that when she menstruated, she was evil or something mm. like that, right? There was a lot of blood. A lot of <laughs> blood. Right. She gave, a new, she gave a new meaning to the term blood relative. I forget exactly how she... She really screwed her daughter up. I mean, that got pretty vicious at the end. Although, you know, high school proms deserve the treatment it got. Don't get me wrong. I think a lot of us wish we could have done what Carrie did to at our high school prom. But uh, not you. You love school. But, um, <laughs> but not proms. But not proms. <laughs> Too much. Yeah. By the way, let's be honest. There's no excuse for a senior prom. <laughs> oh, this is great. Here's a little bit about the film. Okay, Alone in her room, Margaret White, a disturbed religious fanatic, gives birth to a baby girl intending to kill the child. Now there's a, hold on. <laughs> that's, that's a pretty good start. If you're going to be an evil mom, you know, <clears throat> wanting to kill the kid after birth is a good start. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, you know, the whole sentimental thing about moms and they're always wonderful and things. I just remember for years, every time I pick up a newspaper, there'd be someone who dumped a newborn baby in a dumpster. And I used to tell that to my students because they were very sentimental, my students. (laughs) (laughs) And not one of them threw a baby into a dumpster. But really, you know, there's there's a certain percent of women that shouldn't have babies. Oh, a large percent. (laughs) Certainly are. And, 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 you know, and they can get depressed and crazy and... Killing your child. So continue with Margaret White. So she wants to kill Carrie when she's born, but she doesn't. No, she doesn't. She she changes her mind, um, and I'm not quite sure why she changes her mind. It doesn't say, but uh, things get worse as uh, <laughs> with any luck. <laughs> as Carrie gets older and she experiences her first menstrual period, she thinks she's bleeding to death. 
Right. So everybody makes fun of her, and then she starts getting bullied, and then she starts, you know, being nasty. But I, I don't know quite. They, they sort of have dropped the mother. But uh, you know that we could bring in. Oh, Margaret hits her with a Bible. That's always good. Oh, I love that. That's good. And locks her in her prayer closet. <laughs> But you know, religion Talk has about really coming out of the closet. Religion really plays a role in this very much. You know, yeah. the whole thing of you're unclean if you're menstruating. Yeah, which her mother apparently took too much to heart. And Brian De Palma, who never, never thought you could have too much blood in a movie. <laughs> right. Oh, remember the open? I do remember the opening scene of Cat. Because let's face it, most movie adaptations of really good books don't work very well. Right. Um, I think the best. A little off the subject. There's no mom, but in my opinion, the best great movie based on a great novel is silence of the lambs ah. mm. i mean read the novel it is i haven't done impeccable that. really wow. it is impeccable wow and the movie is impeccable won five all five major academy awards but most of them isn't but carrie excellent stephen king novel and it was a really pretty darn good horror movie and i remember the opening scene first of all as a guy anytime you're going to show me a girl's locker room Count me in. <laughs> I mean, that's that's a high school kid's fantasy well, yes. right there. Yeah. yeah, we never lose that. Um, and then when she's th- that's when she first menstruates, right? She's in, right. A, a, in the locker room with the other girls, and she freaks, and the girls, of course, make fun of her. And then things sort of go downhill after that. <laughs> yeah, they do. But we don't have all right. So she hits the kid with the Bible. She locks her in a prayer closet. I know there was more. Yeah, let's see where else. Where, where else? This I mean, goes. she's number three. She's got to come up with some. But again, her kid ends up, you know, kill, you know, becoming pretty horrific, thanks to mom. Yeah, bad bad parenting can have bad effects. <laughs> we see this with many psychopaths. Now, it was, Carrie was telekinetic, right? Yes, she was, and that's how she, you know, got back at all the uh, at all the uh, high school kids, uh, high school bullies. So let's see where where this goes. Uh, Carrie arrives home, and she and Margaret embrace. Margaret tells Carrie about the night of Carrie's conception. After uh, having shared a bed platonically with her husband, they yielded to temptation one night, and after praying for strength, Carrie's father took Margaret, who enjoyed the experience. Hmm. Margaret then attacks Carrie, who attempts to flee and ends up killing her with several sharp tools. So she ends up killing her mom. Okay, very Greek tragedy, you know, type thing, yeah. And mom deserved it, let's be honest. <laughs> no jury's yes, convicting did. Carrie. Yeah. Um, not, not if they don't want to bleed to death. She got convicted for being a nuisance, for, you know, having all that blood, <laughs> you know, all over so, at the prom, you know, for, for ruining prom dresses. Yeah. That they made a remake of that movie, too, which apparently wasn't very good. Most remakes aren't. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, that'd be an interesting subject. Best remakes. Of, of bad mother movies. Well, that would be a little <laughs> tight. That's a, that's a, a tight that's category. That's a doctoral thesis. How about a remake? <laughs> <laughs> a remake of The Graduate. Would be horrible. It would be. But they'll do it. Okay, so now we've got our... All right, we've, we've got, got five, three. four, and three. So five is Mrs. Robinson, mm-hmm. classic n- suburban narcissist, uh, has no problem emotionally controlling her daughter for her own satisfaction. Um, we have Mommy Dearest, uh, hangers and, and beatings and emotional uh, beatings. <laughs> we have Margaret White, yeah. the religious fanatic. Whew. So you got to figure the top two. Yeah, I'm I'm thinking. Now, number two, everyone's going to think would, would have been my number one because I wasn't aware of what number one did oh. to put her number one. But my number two favorite evil mom 
This is how evil this woman was. She totally screwed up her kid well after she was dead. Wow. Continue to screw her kid. Thank you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Mrs. Bates. Yeah, nasty mom. Mrs. Bates. <laughs> nice that job. Nice job film. of mothering. <laughs> that is a brilliant film. It is a that, that is the scariest film ever. I actually, after I saw that film, I, I walked out of the movie theater and I threw up, wow. which is a rare thing for me. It's not like I walk out wow. of a lot of movies and throw up. That happened to me something... in Sound of Music. <laughs> it oh, still does. Oh, 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 you just can't take those cliches, <laughs> you, you? start you? humming doe do a deer, you, you better get a mop. <laughs> but mine was like a panic thing. I mean, what a scary film. See, now, okay, Hitchcock, of course, was devious. As well as deviant. <laughs> as deviant. And, 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 and to proof of that, this is what he actually did. Uh, he, obviously, it would have, this is back in 19, I guess 61 or two, that film came out. Might have been 60. Um, and it was not a particularly well known novel. Robert Block wrote the novel. Um, so Hitchcock's making this movie, and Hitchcock by this time is famous for suspense, not so much horror as suspense. And the last thing he can afford, and of course back in is easier than today to keep secrets, was to let the plot out. Mm. Because this, I believe, was the first time in movie history where the star actress is killed in the first reel. Right. That doesn't happen. No. Um, and you don't want it leaking out that Janet Lee, a major star, is going to get killed in the first reel. And you certainly don't want it leaked out what the conclusion is. So Hitchcock was promoting the film um, right before it's released. And um, he said, basically, um, it's, it's a, among other things, it's a, it's a film about a boy and his mom. <laughs> oh, God. He said that? So, yeah. A boy and his mom. Yeah. Um, Oh, no, I'm sorry. Here's what he said. Nope, here's yeah. what he said. I got it right now. He's <laughs> much more devious. That would have given it away. I'm wrong. Here's what he said. Um, they were in production, and he was interviewed, and he said, I think this is going to be one of my better films. Um, the shooting's going well, except we're having a terrible, terrible time finding uh, an actress to play the role of Mrs. Bates. Uh-huh. <laughs> mm. Yeah. So um, uh, that movie, you see, didn't scare me as much as many Whoa. others. Oh my god! Um, it wasn't the scariest movie I saw either. I I got I, I saw it when I was about ten years scene, old. I think the shower screen certainly as a female got me got my attention. I think that yeah. film for a female. I actually I would, wrote I would a agree, piece yeah. of film well, criticism on Hitchcock. Women see these films differently. When I had you to see say, that though, woman in the shower. And that knife coming in at her. I had trouble going into a shower after seeing yeah. that movie. But I think particularly as I a woman, a lot, you took, feel but, vulnerable. But, was, but, but that was for 20 years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's time. We're going to have to hose you down. I know. Uh, no, a great, great movie. But see, to me, as shocking as the shower scene was, remember, for those of us who went before, now, of course, once everyone's seen it and you know it's coming, it's not as not as scary. It's brilliant, but not as scary. No, to me, here's the most frightening. But I, I actually get, I'm getting goosebumps now when I think about mm. it. Okay, so the film to me is much more psychologically disorienting than it is horrific, because 
first, it's unheard of that the star gets killed in the first reel. Right. Number two, we don't even know it's Norman that killed. We, we see a dress, right? We see a figure in a yeah. dress. Mm-hmm. Okay. So as the plot goes on, we assume it's the mom. Mm-hmm. Right. Remember Alf- what Alfred Hitchcock said? I've had a tough time finding an actress to play <laughs> Mrs. Bates. Hard to find. So, okay, now we're shocked by the shower scene. But now we have a mystery, right? Who ki- you know, Who is this woman figure that kills uh, Marion Crane was her name, mm. the fictional name of Janet Lee. Well, Marion's sister right. and Marion's boyfriend team up. to they, They're going to want to find out who killed her. And the sheriff was this wonderful, like, old-time, you know, Andy Griffith-type sheriff. Mm-hmm. Right, it's it's a small town and it's a it's a small kind of hick town in California. He's an old time sheriff with his kind of dowdy wife, and the biggest crime is probably somebody you know not paying his parking fine. And everybody knows everybody else. It's a small town. So here is the boyfriend and the sister trying to track that. So they hire a detective. And, of course, the detective gets killed in what I think is a scarier scene than the shower scene. Martin Balsam playing Arbogast, who's a tough-nosed detective, figures he better go interview the mother. Mm. Right? So he goes up to the house, and he's walking up. He's, he's, Mrs. Bates, Mrs. Bates, and he senses that, someone's, that she might be upstairs. So he starts walking up the stairs, and that's when... A mother figure comes a knife and stabs him in the chest, of the, and he rolls down, falls down the stairs. That to me was a more apocryphal scene than the shower scene. I would scene. still now I'd say even more that it's it's gender issues here. Right, <laughs> right. Yeah. I'm more afraid to see the naked woman in the shower killed. You're more afraid to see of the, the macho the good detective man who should be tough able to guy getting things. getting knifed by a woman. Right. Okay. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you're a poet laureate. Okay, so now they can't. They don't know Arbogast has been murdered, but they can't find him, right? So now you're the you're the boyfriend. You're the sister. We don't know what the hell happened. There's a strange guy running a motel, and now the detective you've hired won't answer any calls. So they go to they go knock on the door of the sheriff's. It's like late at night, and the sheriff comes. He's like in his bathrobe, and his wife's in her bathrobe, and they're like that, you know. Uh, Grant, Grant um, who, who's that great? Grant Wood. Grant Wood, you know, the farmer wife and the farmer, right. uh, American Gothic. It's like uh-huh. that kind of, and why are you why are you here? It's late, you know, we were in bed. Well, our, you know, we, 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 we can't, we're not hearing back from our detective. There's something strange going on in that house, we think, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, well, when's the last time you heard from this detective? He said, well, he was going up to visit Mrs. Bates. And the sheriff says, this is where I'm getting goosebumps. The sheriff says, but we know nothing what's going on. The sheriff says, wait a minute, repeat that again. You're saying that that your detective friend went up to see Norman Bates's mother? And they say, yeah, he saw her silhouette in the window. And the sheriff says, Norman Bates's mother has been dead and buried in the town cemetery for the past 15 years. That gives you That scared the hell out of me. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah. And think of that name. Nothing Norm- visual. Norman Bates, because it's almost like normal Bates, <laughs> only it's abnormal Bates, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think. It's a young it, man, he'd be Master Bates. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> if he was really, nice, only if he was really nice good at it. To, to share with us. <laughs> only if he was really good at it. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, you're a Mr. Bates. That's right. So, um, unabates. Um, my question. So, so anyway, uh, the reason Mrs. Bates, Norman's mother, becomes the second most evil woman in the movie is because she's totally screwed up her son, and she's been dead for fifteen dead. years. <laughs> that's now that's good. That's good evilness. Yeah, good one. So, how do we go to number one? Yeah, how do you get to... more evil than Mrs. Bates? <laughs> I don't think she had a first name either. Yeah, no, I don't think so either. Okay. Okay. I didn't, I didn't really, I, I, for some reason, this movie didn't grab me. It's considered a film noir classic, um, based on a very, very successful Cold War kind of spy novel, The Manchurian Candidate. Oh, yeah. That was, uh, that was the scariest movie I ever saw. That was a pretty scary film. That movie, I've seen, and I was only like nine years old when I saw it, which is irresponsible of my parents. (laughs) (laughs) Who were, in fact, irresponsible. (laughs) Yes. But it was the scariest movie I ever saw. Now, the plot is so convoluted, I'm not even sure I can, I I looked it up, and I was confused reading the plot. (laughs) Right. You know, it's very convoluted, but as I understand it, this young man goes to war in Korea and he gets brainwashed by the Koreans. Yes, and interestingly, interesting trivia, Hester's aunt is in the movie, and she plays one of the Korean, the big Korean woman in the, in the courtroom scene. And uh, she looks Korean. She's Jewish, of course, but she, <laughs> <laughs> she's a Jewish Korean. Korean. Jewish. This big Korean uh, uh, scary woman. And uh, when I saw this movie, she frightened me. And I found, oh, that's Hester's aunt. <laughs> Years later. Well, basically, what I didn't realize is the reason she comes out number one. But but the mother is played by somebody we we know as a kind of dowdy, good natured yes. mom type. Yeah, Angela that. Lansbury. Mm. Um, yes. Yeah, it's hard to be scared by her. Oh yeah. Well, here's what ha- as I understand it, the plot's convoluted. You might remember it better than uh, than I do. And this is why she's number one. Then we'll get to literature, which is your homework assignment. <laughs> she, she's a, pol- a high-level political person, <clears throat> and um, she, she brainwashed. She, she her, her son was brainwashed terribly in Korea. Comes back a war hero, kind of a John McCain kind of story, mm-hmm. and she brainwashes him to kill. Her political opponent. Mm. Mm. <clears throat> now that's pr- that makes Mrs. Robinson <laughs> look kind of benign. Look like Ann Landers. <laughs> yeah, or Martha Stewart or something. You know, she was uh, she <laughs> was she was scary. a climber. <laughs> Martha Stewart scary? Yeah, I think she's a little scary. Some of the, yeah, I, I, her recipe for brownies is a little scary. <laughs> <laughs> her control. I mean, that thing of like you have to have like a little leafy thing hanging on every door. I think those women that you know like over decorate are scary. I agree with you. Yeah, you come to, if you came to my apartment, you'd see why I agree with that. <laughs> I think I came there once. My apartment is a, a actually proof of chaos theory. Ah, that's what I'm. I'm it's basically an experiment in cha- experiment in chaos theory. But anyway, keep that experiment going. Uh, oh, trust me. Um, 
So that's pretty yeah, evil. When you hypnotize your son to kill your political opponent, <laughs> now we're a little off the charts. Yeah. She was, she was very, very scary in that. Very evil. She so did there's it really our well. Top, there are our top five. Now, who, I, I never... I didn't, I didn't get through ordinary people. But to think of Mary Tyler Moore as evil is even harder than thinking of Angela Lansbury as evil. How is she, she was evil? She so good in, in that. She was such a cold woman. She had two sons. The older one that she loved more died. The younger one ended up, you know, confused and unhappy. And she couldn't love. She couldn't. She was cold. And, and she's married to Donald Sutherland. And, and once in a while in the film, he'll take her aside and say, but, you know, he really needs you. Maybe you could say something kind to him and things like that. And you just see her. She's so cold. Something happened to her. You don't know what. But she's one of those ice queens, you know, the people mm. with the, the perfect house and the perfect cashmere sweater set, but emotionally deeply cut off. And she doesn't do cruel things so much as... She's again a kind of cold narcissism. You know, she she can't get over her own pain about the dead son. She can't go through that to help the live son. So it's it's the kind of thing that we probably see a lot of. Mm. Uh, but but she, in the eyes of the community, she's like a perfect woman. Mm. But her husband more and more realizes that she's she's death producing. You know, death of the emotions, and mm. the, and the son tries to kill himself. Yeah, so we'll, we'll put her sixth. How's that? Okay. <laughs> that works. Now, my homework assignment to you and giving you all two minutes to think about yeah. it. Most evil woman in, say, Greek tragedy, because Greek tragedies are great. If you want gruesomeness. Well, there's evil and then there's mothers, remember. So I mother think we have to take the right. most evil mother right. has to be Medea. Medea. Because Medea marries Jason. Uh, he's a, she's a, from the East. He's a, he's a Greek. And she comes and she bears him two sons and she also helps him get the golden fleece and you know she's she's kind of a witch i mean she's got that exotic thing from the east and i guess she's crazy about him and he gets tired of her and takes a younger wife and she kills the kids they're little boys they're whatever mm. two or three years old why not the husband why not the hus she kills them husband because she knows that will hurt him more now that's pretty bad yeah I, when I would teach that, the, the I'd like to see Alan Dershowitz defend him. My students would <laughs> Her, I mean. be so overwhelmed and he would, by it. Yes, he would. In, in fact, I would cite it when I was citing that all, not all mothers were good. I would point out Medea. <laughs> 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 and when I was young, actually, I wrote a poem. I, I don't think I could ever find it. It was called Medea in the Laundromat. And mm. it was like a sort of a contemporary crazy woman. I, I think that would be a good piece to, to, to work on again. Medea in the so Laundromat. She was in trying there to cleanse her like, soul. Well, she's sort of sorting socks and things, and she's muttering about the horrors of being a wife and having to take care of kids all the time and things. And and so you know she's going to go home and kill her babies. Uh, but but one film that you didn't mention that's a recent one is I Tanya. I don't and, know that. Uh, that's oh. Tonya, oh, the Tonya, Tonya Harding. Harding. A brilliant yes. film, and the mother is awful in that. Oh, she's, really? And she's awful, and she's awful, and she's awful, and she's always undercutting her. And finally, late in the film, the mother tries to reconcile with her, and she goes to her to say, well, did you really have, did you know that that Harding's knee was going to be hurt? Not not Harding, whatever her name is, Nancy uh, Kerrigan. And, and Tonya suddenly looks at her, and she goes, you're miked. And she is. She's trying to get a story she can sell to wow. the newspapers about her daughter <laughs> confessing to her mother. And the mother says, just tell me, you know, I'm, and she's playing all nice. I want to be close to you and everything. And it's such a horrible moment of betrayal. 
But, um, you know, Clytemnestra isn't such a bad mother, per se. She has these kids. No. She kills her, her husband. She but, sleeps with her kids. But Electra, no, Clytemnestra didn't sleep with her kid. No? No. Oh, I'm thinking of Oedipus's uh, uh, that's true, but she didn't know it was. Her she didn't kid. know it was your. Kid. I don't think we can. So call we have to give. We, no, we'll give her a pass. Mother. We'll give but, her a pass. But Clytemnestra, uh, by killing her husband, angered her daughter Electra. So you know. But you didn't get, the husband deserve it? Well, he came home from the war late, and he brought a mistress with him, the uh, Cassandra. Yeah. Right. So, well, I don't know if you deserve it, but but she took him out. But she also had taken a lover, so she was being a little bit uh, hypocritical. Oh, okay. Um, you know the bad. I don't know. Phaedra is an interesting one, but it's a stepmother who wants to sleep with her stepson. And, you know, they're destroyed. That's not the same. We gotta no, go, they're destroyed by the their passions more in Greek tragedy. Their, their passions make them crazy. They don't, they don't have these psychological profiles, I think, that are, that are similar to the ones in these films mm. where you see how they brought up the children or how they messed them up. But in Shakespeare, what's interesting is... Uh, that Lady Macbeth at one point when she's putting her husband down before he kills, he does the first killing. She wants him to kill someone so he's closer to the throne. And she calls him lily-livered and, you know, be a man. And she says, I gave birth to, you know, two babies who I suckled and I would throw them against the wall and bash their brains out before I would be, you know, like like you, like incapable of, of doing what I'm suggesting. I, I wish I had the lines exactly, but it's it's a wonderful passing remark because there's nothing else in the play about her ever having had children. But so we have to assume that the children died as babies. Not that she did that to them, but she, when she says that, I would have dashed their brains against the wall. Could you uh, wiki Lady Macbeth? By the way, this is a hell of a Mother's Day celebration. <laughs> so, but most of the plays, by the way, the, and Gertrude is a problem. But I, no, no, I just had a, I got a million dollar idea. Okay. By the way, you know what happens to most of my million dollar ideas? <laughs> they don't make a dime. But this, think about this: a line, <laughs> a line of greeting cards, <laughs> quoting Lady Macbeth, based on Shakespeare and Greek tragedy characters saying awful things. Yeah, about, and they're horrible. Yeah, right. Wouldn't that be a great line of greeting cards? And have like the <laughs> have like the happy you know suburban mom photo, and then have a Lady Macbeth quote. Mm. Mm. Yeah, perverse greeting cards. I'm telling you, there's there a, are a fair number of perverse greeting cards out, out there. Out there, but no, I don't think this one's been done. But what's interesting in Shakespeare is most of the plays, there is no mother figure. Mm, and the, and and it and he has the father daughter. He's much more interested in that. So like, um, oh, the the tempest is the famous one, you know, with the the magician father and the beautiful daughter Miranda, and King Lear. There's no Mrs. Lear. King Lear, you know, deals with his daughters. Mm -hmm. In in most of the comedies, there's a father and a daughter, and often they get separated, or the daughter has to run away. So we don't something. have a lot of mothers in Shakespeare. Which is, uh, you know, who knows what he's doing. But there's that theme also, like in American literature, like Huck Finn has no mother. Um, and, and Jane Eyre uh, has no mother. I mean, they die. And I think that that well, a lot idea of women is, died in childbirth. But also I think that the what the author is doing is leaving the person to really define him or herself. Mm -hmm. In other words, the child that grows up without the mother, who's literally dead, that... And whether the father's alive or not alive, Huck Finn has the old reprobate father, you know, who drinks. We they get to 
be more of a hero or a heroine by virtue of not having the parents. And in fairy tales, you have evil mothers, but they're always stepmothers. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like hiding the fact that we have ambivalence towards our, our mothers. Mm. Like this stepmother is really like your horrible mothers in the movies. In other words, the, the stepmother is jealous in Snow White. Um, because she wants to be the most beautiful one of all. You know, she has the thing in front of the mirror. Who's the fake one of all? So in a well, way, uh, Mrs. Robinson takes that role in the uh, the suburban role in the right, movies. the mother of, of the other. the wicked stepmother yep. in, in um, yep. to make Snow White. To make Joan Crawford even more evil, though, is she adopted her children. <laughs> so she actually went out of her way to get children right. that weren't even, that weren't hers and then abused them. Well, the other thing, interestingly, <laughs> with her is that she wanted that picture of the perfect family. Right. She adopted attractive little children, and she dressed them perfectly, and she was always having people come to the house to take photos of them as a family unit. But she really wanted them as accessories. Right. You know, which may, maybe a fair number of mothers throughout history have yeah. wanted their kids as accessories. And, you know, like that perfect outfits on the children. And they get extremely upset if the children spill something mm-hmm. or dirty their outfits. Um, but the mothers are interesting figures. Yes. Indeed. Well, and that's our, our point. It, it's, um, um, it's, it's complex. Yes. It's not a greeting card. No. <laughs> which is what we do on Mother's Day. And, um, you know, to me, talking about what we're talking about just confirms the complexity of being a parent, being a child, being a human being. Yes. And um, how this is all going to change, which it is going to in many ways, as, as artificial intelligence becomes what they call AGI, artificial general intelligence, is depending upon who you listen to in the next 10 to 30 years, not that long period, uh, computers will be smarter in most areas than human beings, more efficient, more effective, and more intelligent. What is that going to do to us? And most of the dark scenarios are based not because that's what's going to happen, although it could, but based on our projections as human beings because we look at what we do when we have control Mm. over people. Mm. What do we do? We act really badly. A lot of the time. Yeah. So we project that, that well, the, therefore, computer intelligence, when it gets control over us, will do the same thing. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe it'll be more intelligent than us and figure out a way to do everything it needs to do without being a jerk about it. And then there's the whole possibility of having robot babysitters. So you pick maternal traits and you program them program. Oh, them forget about babysitters. You will be... Uh, choosing the genetic structure of your kids to a large extent. You will determine what color eyes you want, what color hair you want, what kind of temperament you want. And if it doesn't work out that way at birth, you can implant them with computer chips. If you don't think that's going on right now, you're nuts. You're not paying attention. Well, they're starting to move in that direction. No, no, it is already happening. We have implants for that, that help people uh, with uh, Alzheimer's that help people uh, with um, Parkinson's. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I'm talking about like like the whole birth thing. I mean, you know, when you when you say you can genetically pick it, mm-hmm. so far we're not changing the DNA of of eggs. But we are changing humans. the DNA of animals. Yes, yes, we have started that. Correct. Guess where that's going to lead? 
Well, we're animals. <laughs> yep. So that's where that's going. Well, but some, artificial uh, um, intelligence is not animal. Yeah. Right. It's going to be pretty interesting. At any rate, go moms. <laughs> yeah, happy <laughs> Mother's Robinson, Day. Joan happy Crawford, Mary White, and her daughter Carrie. Uh, Mrs. Bates and Norman and Eleanor Issian, played by Angela Lansbury, <laughs> brainwashing <laughs> her son to kill her political opponents. Yeah. Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> what a drag it is getting old. Kids are different today. I hear every mother say, Mother needs something today to calm her down. And though she's not really ill, there's a little yellow pill. She goes running for the shelter of her mother's little helper. And it helps her on her way, gets her through her busy day. Fresh food for her husband's just a drag So she buys an instant cake And she buys a frozen steak And goes running for the shelter Of her mother's little helper And to help her on her way Get her through her busy day Doctor, please, some more of these Outside the door Don't appreciate that you get tired They're so hard to satisfy You can tranquilize your man So go running for a shelter Of a mother's little helper And for help you through the night Help to minimize your flight Doctor, please, some more of Yeah.